are featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation, Brain and Behavior Research Foundation, National Urban League. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. You know, it's kind of odd in a way that I've been doing this podcast for almost three years. And I haven't had a chance to talk with the leader of perhaps the largest philanthropic organization in the world, the American Red Cross. Well, we're going to fix that today. And I say it's unusual because on many things revolving around communications and accountability, I'm in touch with the Red Cross and particularly the person we're going to speak with today pretty frequently. So it is unusual that today, almost three years into this, I'm getting a chance to speak with my colleague in the nonprofit sector. Gail McGovern. And Gail is someone who I have a deep and abiding respect for. I have a understanding, uh, maybe a better understanding than most people, about the enormous responsibility that is contained within her job description. And I've watched her work now for, I don't know, since about 2006, I think it was, when, when Gail started. And seeing her take this organization from one that people were pretty highly critical of for a variety of reasons to one that is stable, growing, and looking to the future about how it can meet the needs of those who struggle from everyday fires and disasters, larger disasters, how we can secure the blood supply that we have in our country how we can learn how to do CPR and swim even uh, through the services of the many people who work and volunteer at the American Red Cross. And we're speaking with the person who leads that organization today, Gail McGovern. Gail, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Art. I really appreciate it. Well, Gail, there's so much we can talk about today, and time won't allow us to cover everything. 
But I do want to get into a little bit about your life, if you allow me, because I believe that sometimes people look at leaders of large organizations in particular and just sort of assume that they just fell out of the sky into those jobs, that they were just born into it, that it just happened. But it didn't just happen. You come to the Red Cross with a vast amount of experience, both in the corporate sector and in education. And I want to talk about some of that, especially the early days for you in your career when you were working in the corporate sector, I believe at AT AT&T, one of a few women in the executive band at the time. How was that? Well, it did take a little bit of getting used to, I have to confess, particularly when I made officer at AT AT&T. But in a weird way, I sort of had practice because I went to Johns Hopkins University and they, it was the first year they admitted women. There were 50 women and 1,900 men. And it was very unusual to be sitting in a classroom and see another woman there. And as a result, I pretty much learned how to find my voice in a group that was completely non-diverse and in some ways just surprised that I was even sitting in there. And, you know, that really stayed with me all the way through my 24 years at AT AT&T. I loved every minute of it. I loved my education at Johns Hopkins. It was great. But I think one of the big lessons that I learned attending that school is that sometimes you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're the only woman at the table and you just need to uh, get the equipment and the emotional fortitude to be able to handle it. And honestly, I enjoyed it. By the time I got into the C-suite there, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed bringing other women up through the organization. When I started as an officer at AT AT&T, there were only uh, seven women. And when I left, 25% of the officers were women. And one of my proudest accomplishments was to mentor and develop other women. Well, I'll just say, you know, I've been in situations where I've been the only black. And when I started in public accounting, I was the only black among 195 professionals in a big eight accounting firm in the Philadelphia office. I talk about that. And it was, it was hell. (laughs) And, you know, you develop, unfortunately, you're forced to develop a certain amount of resiliency. Yes. Which you do carry with you. And I certainly can say you are one of the more resilient people that I know. You've been very public, Gail, about some of your health crises and some of the challenges that you faced leading the American Red Cross are well documented. And yet you persist. Do you attribute some of that to, you know, this early start that you had in your career? Is it something else that is innate in you as a leader and as a human being? How do you deal with the challenges associated with, you know, these kinds of uh, issues that come up in your life? Well, let me start with the first thing that you mentioned. I'm a two-time cancer survivor 
And uh, the first time I wound up with breast cancer, I kept it very private. And I was able to do that because of timing. I happened to be teaching at Harvard at the time. And I was, it was during one of the semesters that I actually had off. But when I came to the American Red Cross and I knew I was going to need a lot of treatment, I felt like I just couldn't keep it private and that the organization had a right to know, the people that I was leading had a right to know, and certainly my board needed to know. So I sent out a note to everybody telling them that I was going through this, that my prognosis was excellent, and that I was not going to miss any work as a result. And I got so many letters, not only, you know, emails also, not only from people at the American Red Cross that were suffering or had gone through this, but people that you wouldn't even expect, you know, cabinet members saying, I've also fought the good fight and I'm so grateful that you were public about it. So I learned that the Red Cross, I mean, we're the organization that loves putting blankets around you and hug you and take good care of you. And as nervous as I was about coming forward with my health issues, I got a big metaphorical blanket wrapped around me and I will never forget how many people were cheering for me. And it's a decision I don't regret having made. And it's uh, something that really, I think, made me stronger. Well, we're all so thrilled that you came through it. Thank you. And that you're here with us doing this important work. Thank you. So I'll say that. You know, Gail, sometimes people believe that when you get to work for an organization that's helping people, that it's pretty much the best thing that could ever happen to you. You know, you wake up every morning and your job is to spread goodwill in some way or another. In your case, you get maybe to see a family that was put out by a fire and you're comforting them or a larger disaster and you're getting to participate in a way that might rebuild a nation or you're helping kids learn how to swim and people do CPR and helping our society in so many different ways. You know, you would think that by and large, who wouldn't want to be in a role like that? But it's not all that simple, is it? I mean, there's a phrase that we all know, no good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) And I know that uh, from time to time, the Red Cross and you personally, have been subject to critics. I'll say, because we've done the work at the Wise Giving Alliance, that many times those criticisms are unfair. But I want you to talk about how you deal with it, You know how you can be in an organization working every day trying to help people and still have to face the critics and the controversy that comes with simply doing that job. I want to give you one example that that kind of sticks with me. There was a a TV station that did a report during one of the earthquakes or one of the disaster. I don't even remember disaster, disaster. But what I do remember is that there were people who decided they wanted to give hamburgers to some folk who were struggling because of a disaster. And some some people had this great idea. We want to give them some hamburgers. 
And so they went to some of the Red Cross volunteers at the time and said, we want to give out these hamburgers to these people. And they said, sorry, but we can't take these hamburgers from you to give to them. And the people went to the news and basically criticized you for not accepting the hamburgers. Now, anyone who follows how organizations operate would know right away that you don't know where those hamburgers came from. You can't simply <laughs> accept those hamburgers without vetting where they came. But I'm just, th- these are the kinds of things that the media will pick up on and draw controversy around. But wh- how do you deal with that? Well, a couple of thoughts. First of all, there's not very much interesting about a story that says the American Red Cross saved lives today. That's predictable. Everybody knows that's what we're doing every single day. What is interesting is if an institution takes a misstep and you see that all over and not just the Red Cross, you just see, you know, all over, let's, let's find something that they're doing wrong. In the case of your hamburger story, the person was dropping off 400 hamburgers at the convention center in Houston that had 11,000 residents in that shelter. And 400 hamburgers weren't going to feed 11,000 people. And as you said, you never know where the food is coming from, how long it's been refrigerated or not. And sadly, there have been incidences of well-meaning people that actually got others sick because the food wasn't handled appropriately. So how do I handle it? I know it comes with the territory. Do I like it? No, I don't like it at all. But I have the privilege of helping people every single day. I wake up in the morning and know that the organization that I have the privilege to lead is making a difference in so many lives. And it, it's what keeps me going, honestly. You know, I hate the criticism, but when I compare it to the gratification, it's why I love my job so much. And the other thing I'll say is that I get to see a different America than most people see. You know, somebody will say to me, where are you from? And I'll say, oh, I'm, I'm from Washington, D.C. And they go, oh, Washington, D.C., you must hate it. It's so horrible. And I go, I love it. I said, not from my vantage point, not in my country. I get to see the resiliency of people who have lost everything and are determined to give back. And I also get to see the generosity of the American public who, whether it's a million dollar gift from a corporation or the one dollar bill I got crumpled up in an envelope saying, this is from the tooth fairy, can you use it to help people? I get to have those moments every day. And that's really what keeps me going. Do I like the criticism? No, I really don't. But do I love my job and do I love our mission? Very much so. Well, you know, and to some extent, Gail, we should expect criticism. You know, it focuses us. We don't like it. We get attention focused on us that we don't appreciate sometimes. But it's American to have the right to to speak out. And, and the only thing I sometimes get disappointed about is when 
we respond to that criticism and that is ignored. So we don't, we don't really get the same opportunity to explain in this case of the hamburgers, why it wasn't something that we should accept, you know, <laughs> so, or you should accept at the time. And, you know, so that can be frustrating, but yeah, criticism in and of itself is fine. You know, it's just comes with the territory. And what I tend to focus on are the fact that, you know, the Red Cross continues to get tremendous support, I would imagine, from the American public, right? Absolutely. And just to your final point, you know, sometimes the criticism is real. I mean, nobody is perfect, but when it's pointed out, we do everything in our power to correct and course correct. So we just try to get better every single day. And that actually was my mantra when I first joined the American Red Cross. There were so many things that the Red Cross was struggling from that after my first week, I felt a bit overwhelmed by how much we had to do. And then I just said to myself, just make it a little bit better every single day. And I have used that mantra for the last 15 years. Yeah. Well, we've talked about some of those things in different venues, but what are some of the key things that you believe you've been able to accomplish at the organization over these last, I want to say, 18 years or so? 15 years. 15, 15 years. Okay. You know, I get that question a lot. And when I answer it, people are very surprised. You know, I walked in and we were in such financial trouble. It, it was it was unbelievable. We had a $209 million operating deficit. We had a pension fund that was unfunded by $1 billion. And we had been taking out loans to make payroll. And so we had about $612 million of debt. And it, it, you know, the, you looked at the numbers and it was pretty overwhelming. And we managed to break even two years into it when it came to our operating margin. Our pension fund is now fully funded and we've paid back about half of the debt that we owed. And these are low interest loans, so we probably won't pay them off very quickly. We like them. People go, oh, you must feel, feel so proud of that. And of course I feel proud of that. I do. But what I'm really the, the most proud of is our culture. When I came to the Red Cross, I expected people to not want to embrace change. And what I learned is that everyone at the American Red Cross wants to fulfill our mission. They are here for the mission. They are here to go to shelters and give people hugs. They are here to draw blood, life-saving blood, so somebody can be alive today because of blood transfusion. And when I saw that culture and I saw it in action, and we leveraged that culture to get people to understand why we needed to save the American Red Cross, I think I'm the most proud of the way that Red Crossers want to support each other. They like each other. They're not competing with each other. They wake up in the morning and they want to help others. It's really a privilege to be part of it. And it changed the way I lead. When I was in corporate, I would say, hey, guys, we're not saving lives here. Calm down. It's just long distance. Or, hey, guys, calm down. It's just managing money. And when I got to the Red Cross, I thought, 
this is way more important than any of those things. And when I was able to understand how heartfelt people believed in our mission, it became easier to lead. And now I say, hey, we got to get this right. There are people depending on us. You know, I guess the best way to say it is I, I learned at the Red Cross how to lead through my heart, not just my head. And that made me a better leader and it made me more grateful to have the opportunity to lead the American Red Cross. I want to talk about that last point a little bit, Gail, leading with your heart as well as your head, because I get that question from time to time about people who want to shift from working in corporate America to working in nonprofit organizations. And they ask, well, what are some of the adjustments that you have to make? Now, I was in corporate only a small amount of time, but I try to tell them that most of the technical business, hard-nosed metrics that are used in corporate America may or may not even apply (laughs) to, I mean, just think about what you just said a minute ago the amount of debt that you had, the amount of money that you were hemorrhaging, right? Uh, A a company executive might look at that and say, this is over. What are we talking about here? Let's file for bankruptcy. We can't. (laughs) Right. But that's not how we think about it in a mission-based organization, right? We think about, we'll find a way to turn this around because if we don't, there are too many who are going to suffer as a result. So I want you to talk about what that means to you when you say lead with my, my heart as well as my head. So one of the first meetings that I had with the Red Crossers that were running chapters. So I would say there are probably five, 600 people in the audience. I had prepared, this is when I, I learned how to lead at the Red Cross. I had prepared all these pie charts and histograms and financial reports as to why we were in trouble and that we were on the brink of bankruptcy. We really and truly were and did absolutely a masterful job of putting this very left-brained presentation together. And I got up and I looked at the audience and I immediately realized this is not what they feel like hearing. And I said, I started going around the room and saying, who would have responded to the miracle on the Hudson when the airplane landed and we had to put blankets around people? Who would have responded to that three-alarm fire in Albany when we got people back into housing? And I started giving story after story. And then at the end, I said, we have got to save the American Red Cross. And the crowd went wild. And I remembered thinking, if I had given an emotional talk like that in my days in corporate, people would probably feel a little uncomfortable listening Mm -hmm. to it. But when you're in a nonprofit and your sole reason for being at that nonprofit is to help others, people don't want to hear a talk about financials. They want to hear, how can we help others? And it made it, it was the turning point in, in my life at the Red Cross, knowing that people will do anything to fulfill our mission 
even the layoffs that we had to do, people were grateful for the opportunity to be there and they understood why we needed to do this to save the Red Cross. So I also decided that it helps leading from the heart, no matter what your job is. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could go back in time, I would have done that more. And the other thing, the big difference is when you're leading volunteers, you have to be genuine. I mean, I remember yeah. saying, okay, so here's what we're going to do. And, you know, here's how we're going to do it. And some of them would say, no, you haven't convinced me yet. Like, what do you do? Double their salary? I mean, they're volunteers. And I learned that when a volunteer says, yep, that makes sense, it really does make sense. Yeah. So I, it did change my leadership style, I think, for the best. And, you know, when you put the mission first, it really does give you an idea of what direction you want to want to head. I hope that uh, people who are thinking about transitioning heard that transitioning to the Red Cross, not transitioning to another world. <laughs> we use that phrase differently, too, don't we? <laughs> but the, the point is clearly that there are differences between mission based organizations and corporations. But I love what you said about maybe we should have corporations affected this way, too. And I bet some of the great ones uh, also have leaders like that, because in leadership, right, it's not just about how you manage people. It's also about how you inspire. Exactly. Them. Exactly. Yeah, and, you, you know, there are lessons I learned in corporate that I applied at the Red Cross, mm-hmm. too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we had to fix those financials or else we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, you know, having a little bit of financial acumen definitely helped. But to your point, you know, you can be inspired wherever you work. And a lot of it has to do with who you work with. So if you have a culture where people aren't competing with each other and just Mm -hmm. want to get the work done, it's a lot easier to to lead. So let's talk about culture, uh, particularly our culture today. You know, we have a country that is deeply polarized, right? Deeply polarized. And oftentimes we're asked to pick sides. Either you're this or you're that. And, um, you know, some of those things, many of them are artificially created because no person is one thing or another. We're lots of things. But that can also spill over into the workplace and a place like the Red Cross has volunteers and staff in probably every zip code in the country. Yep. And um, therefore you're going to have people from almost every ideology in the organization. How do you manage all that? And, and I want to get into also a little bit, Gail, about the question of managing diverse workplaces and how we can make sure that every person has an opportunity to contribute at the highest level. So first of all, we're, we're part of a Red Cross movement that touches um, about 192 countries. And that's basically all of them. And we have fundamental principles that all of us must abide by. And there's seven of them. But three of them are independence, impartiality, and neutrality, which are all very, very similar. So it's almost like putting an exclamation mark on those three. 
And I fall back on that a lot, a lot. I don't think there's anybody on the Hill that knows what my voting pattern is. I will not bring politics into the conversations. We want to be neutral so that everybody can support us and feel good about us. Having said that, and I'm going to branch a little bit to diversity, after the George Floyd murder, there were so many people that were hurting at the American Red Cross, all around the world, I think, but at the American Red Cross as well. And I put out a very emotional note saying how I felt about it and said that if you are scared or upset, get in touch with me. And I have an open inbox. And I got well over a thousand notes from employees, volunteers, and they were heartbreaking. People who were white said, I work next to someone who is African-American and I know they're suffering, but I don't even know what to say. So I'm not saying anything. I got notes from African-Americans who, you know, tell, told me every day when they wake up in the morning, they're teaching their their sons, keep your hands on the steering wheel. You know, you know the talk. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm watching my entire workforce just buckling. And so the, we decided we were going to double down on all of our diversity initiatives. And we had a lot going to begin with. And we focused on three things. One was dialogue. Just give people the cultural competency to have a conversation with each other. The second was diversity of our workforce. And we've been keeping an eye on this for quite a long time, but we wanted to shine a light on our progress so people understood where we, where we stood on it. And the last was something that we've launched recently, and it, we call it our Sickle Cell Initiative. I'm sure you know that people of African descent have one in three have a certain antigen that can be transfused into a sickle cell patient. And we are always running short on inventory. And so we said, okay, that's enough. We are not going to let people suffer with this disease. And it's primarily African-Americans that have sickle cell. And we started forging relationships in communities all over the country that could help us find people that had the antigen. So we work with the NAACP, we work with 100 Black men, we work with all the HBCUs. We put a full court press on this. And it was amazing. We got, the first year we got a 60% growth in African-American blood donors. And again, one in three had the antigen. And I don't know if you know anyone that has sickle cell. It's horrible, horrible. It's painful. One of our spokespeople, beautiful young woman, passed away from it. And she was getting transfusion after transfusion. So we're embedding the whole notion of diversity across all of the way we think now. We look at vulnerable communities, people of color, and they get hit by a disaster, we are on top of that in a way that we hadn't been before. We used to just give out money equally. Now we look for the people that need it most. And very often they're undocumented. They don't want to raise their hand to say that they need money. So we're really working with communities 
with um, large minority populations to make sure that we are taking care of them. And we also track our workforce. We do really well with people of color in executive positions because the labor pool breaks it down that way. Our overall population is quite diverse. So we always keep our eye on that. And we also have dashboards for individual groups that aren't part of the national numbers because that can kind of mask things. Every one of our leaders out in the field have a dashboard that says you've got to focus on this. So, And we're looking at attracting more diverse volunteers, which we've made a lot of progress in. So it's something that is very important to us at the American Red Cross. And we want to be able to reflect the populations that we're serving, which is the other reason why we're really doubling down on this. So I'm sure you can tell by my enthusiasm that I care very deeply about this. I could talk about it for hours, but I'm really glad about all the traction that we're getting here. And, you know, your original question on how do you stay neutral We just won't engage in all of the political fray that's going on around us. We are going to help you no matter who you are. And we are going to only weigh in when it is harmful for our mission. Well, you know, Gail, I had a chance to give a speech recently. In fact, we were were scheduled, you and I were scheduled to do our interview. And I had to instead go to give this speech to the Salvation Army, another amazing humanitarian organization. And you know Ken Hodder. Very well. And Ken invited Yolanda and I to come down. And and I gave this talk about uh, a lot of things, but I went on probably a little too long. I was on for about almost an hour. But I spent about 12 minutes talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what I said was that organizations, especially large ones, that have programs across, in this case, the globe, we should be approaching the diversity question from one of abundance. And I think that so often when we think about this question, there's a lot of fear because people feel like if we give one group a chance, then someone else is going to lose. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can all win, right? We can all win. And you're not doing, you talked about a lot of steps that you're taking at the American Red Cross. I don't think you're doing it just because it's the right thing to do. It also makes sense, doesn't it? It makes, does it make business sense too? I think it does. Absolutely. You know, if, if a community can't relate to your organization, you know, you're not going to get gifts. You're not going to get blood. You're not going to get volunteers. Yes, it definitely makes business sense. And it is the right thing to do. I just want everybody at the Red Cross to wake up in the morning with the spring in their step and think, I belong here. I am welcomed here. You know, I want to work with the people that sit on the right of me and the left of me, because I like these people. And I, I think that's a culture that's, you know, it takes time to get there. But we had a wonderful session with all the heads of our resource groups. And oh my gosh, there was so much joy in that room. I wish I could have bottled it because people really felt like leadership, senior leadership cares deeply about this. 
And, you know, we want people to feel like they belong, that they're welcome. And the other thing, Art, is we do a lot of pulse surveys and it keeps getting better and better and better. Year over year, all the diversity questions, you know, do, can I bring my authentic self to work? Do I feel this is a safe place to work? Those numbers just keep climbing. And, I, and you know, you've got you've to focus on it. And there is abundance. You know, it, it, it's honestly diversity of thought. To me, that's more important than anything else, because having different points of view will stop you from doing something inappropriate. I really believe that. Um, it's funny that you mentioned showing up as your authentic self. One of the things I, I talk about when I do these diversity talks is that in a company or a nonprofit, any type of organization, we can't have everybody show up as their authentic self. <laughs> or, or we can't have everybody show everything about their That's authentic true. self. That? <laughs> that is I mean, true. There's certainly things about me that you wouldn't want me bringing to the workplace. <laughs> but what I do say is that we want to try to make the sacrifice equally distributed, right? If there are things that I can't do that I would maybe prefer to do, am I being somehow singled out when other people aren't? And and are we all and essentially being asked to sacrifice something for the good of the whole? Because the organization has to succeed and we can't bring things that would that would essentially hinder the organization's progress and success, but just make sure that it's it's fairly distributed across the employee base and try to monitor to make sure that that's happening. Well, plus, if you don't have diversity in an organization, you get stuck in groupthink. Yeah. You know, if everybody has the yeah. same background and the same political mm-hmm. views and the same tastes, you don't wind up with the right answer. Yeah. You know, hearing all different kinds of points of view gives you the right answer. And it's better for business. It's better for morale. It's better for culture. And probably the most important thing is it's the right thing to do. Well, look, Gail, I, I've probably outstayed my welcome here today with you. But <laughs> I, I always love the chance to visit with you and hear from this uh, incredible heart and mind that you have. Thank you. And I know our guests will also appreciate this interview today. Thank you so much, Art. Well, I, I just admire you so much. Right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, most people won't get to know you in the same way that I have had the pleasure of knowing you over these last 16 years. But you've given us a good glimpse of who you are today. And I just want to continue to wish you tremendous success and health and uh, wish the organization as well the power that it will need to, to be sustained into the future. Because, as you know, there these disasters seem to be coming more rapidly than ever before. We had some duff, tough days here in D.C. because of fires in Canada. And um, that was kind of new for us here on the East Coast. So things are happening and we're going to need a strong American Red Cross to help us deal with them. And I know with you at the helm, we have hope. Thank you. All right. Well, this will do it for this edition. I I thank all of you for 
tuning in, if you haven't experienced this podcast before, know that we're on all major podcast platforms. And you can also find it on YouTube. If you want to support the podcast, we would love that, of course. And you can make a gift at give.org if you want to support the podcast. This is a weekly show, so we'll be right back here with another show next week. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.